Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 58 of the Learning to Lead podcast. I had the honor of interviewing Jason Wolf, the CEO of giftcards.com on this episode and it's a great interview and I'm excited to tell you about Jason here in a minute. Um, before we jump into the interview, just a few things um, with Learning to Lead. One, if you love this podcast, if you enjoy it, if it adds value to your life, um, if you can look in the show notes of this episode, there's a whole section that says how you can help this podcast and I would really appreciate it if you enjoy this, that if you would go and click on the link that says subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and uh, if you could rate the podcast and review it, that would be fantastic. It'll help us get more listeners and uh, share the content on a broader scale, so thank you for that. Also, if you're interested in what we're doing in Learning to Lead and want to stay up to date, uh, you'll see a link to sign up for our Learning to Lead e-newsletter where you'll get emails with up-to-date content and uh, upcoming events as well. And we have two great events this month. Um, one is this week, actually our April breakfast. Uh, we have uh, Dave Profesich, who's a VP at Oracle, and it's going to be fantastic this Friday. Um, and also next week we're going to go to a pirate game and have a night um, with Reed Carpenter and several other people uh, sharing about their vision for Pittsburgh. You won't want to miss it. And we're going to have a free tailgate party followed by a pirate game. And so you can get information about those events at Doug Smith Live forward slash breakfasts, and uh, you'll see all of that information there, and we'd love to see you at our events. As always, if you ever need anything, feel free to email me at DougSmithLive at gmail.com. So that being said, I do want to jump right into this interview. Uh, Jason Wolf is an incredible guy. Let me tell you about him. Jason has an incredible story. Uh, he actually grew up in an orphanage and attended Milton Hershey School. He uh, graduated high school with a suitcase of clothes and just $100. And he ended up getting into a horrific car accident and had to get two major spine surgeries. And after the surgeries, Jason actually started to teach himself how to code. And he started his first online company, which was MyCoupons.com. And uh, in the interview, you'll hear Jason talk about these experiences with the car wreck, him going to school, and him starting his own company. And uh, he'll really share the journey of how he went from where he was uh, to where he is now with giftcards.com. They have over 95 employees and well over $100 million in annual sales, uh, which is incredible. And he shares the leadership lessons he learned along the way. Um, If you're an entrepreneur, you'll love this this episode. You'll love this interview, and you'll love Jason. And um, you can find out the questions. I asked some of my key takeaways and ways to connect with Jason in the show notes um, at Doug Smith Live forward slash episode 58, and you can get all of that information there. And so I know this interview is going to add value to your life. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll see you next episode. Thank you, Jason, so much for taking the time to do this. And um, why don't we just start off with you just giving us uh, an overview of you, who you are, and what you do. Oh, sure. Well, Doug, thank you for asking me uh, to be a part of this. I'm very... um, Honored that you would uh, consider me for something like this, you know. And who I am, I'm the CEO of giftcards.com, and we are a gift cards uh, business. We're here in Green Tree in uh, Pittsburgh, and, um, you know, we basically manufacture gift cards. That's great. So share with us your story. I know I've researched you enough where I, I know your story, but I think it's such a fascinating story. Can you kind of give us, you know, your story, how you grew up, and how you got to be where you are? <clears throat> I don't know if we have enough time for that. <laughs> the, uh, I, I, got, I basically I grew up in. Uh, I was born in Connecticut, and um, um, we lived down and uh, moved from Connecticut when I was little to Virginia. My dad worked in the government. I uh, was there for a few years until my parents got divorced, and then I moved back to Connecticut. Uh, I was probably six or seven. Uh, my father kind of disappeared. 
and my mother had to try to take care of us, and she was sick. And she had, uh, well, there was three of us, a brother, sister, and me. <clears throat> and so, you know, we ended up on welfare. We ended up, uh, you know, I ended up living with an uncle for a period of time and my grandparents until we found out about a school in Hershey, Pennsylvania called the Milton Hershey School. And have you ever heard of it? Not until I had no. done my research on you. Okay, well, it was a school started by the guy, uh, Milton Hershey, who started the Hershey Chocolate Company. And him and his wife, his wife couldn't have children, so in 1909, he started an orphanage for boys. And she died in 1917, I think. And he never got remarried and spent a lot of time with the kids and school grew. And when he, uh, before he died, he actually deeded, he actually uh, gave his fortune to the school. So the board of trust, or I think it's the board of trust, manages the, um, the endowment, which uh, today is billions of dollars. And <clears throat> yeah, so I ended up going to that school in 1980, and I ended up living there. And <clears throat> the school is very disciplined. I lived in a house with 16 guys and um, house parents and milk cows on the farm and all that. Graduated from there with a suitcase of clothes, $100, because that's kind of how they did it back then. And went and made my life, started. Uh, uh, I went to college at Bloomsburg, played college football there, and um, graduated from there. Spent a couple years after college <clears throat> being a whitewater raft guide and a bunch of stuff and bartender and trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I decided to, uh, I was doing some couponing stuff, and I was I had some major spinal surgery, which caused me not to be able to drive for a while. So during the recovery time, <clears throat> I taught myself how to write software. And it was in the mid-90s. And um, I created the first coupon site online. And um, during this time, it was a very difficult time for me living out of my car. Um, probably one of the reasons why I um, have an interest in light of life, because I was homeless myself. So um, as I was going through that time in my life, <clears throat> you know, uh, started to really pray that God would come into my life, and he did, and my business started to become successful and um, grew, whereby 1999, I think it was, I raised some money from Jupiter Media, uh, internet.com, was a public company at the time, and they invested about a half a million into the company, and, you know, by then I had <clears throat> about 20 million page views a month, I had five or six million people on my mailing list and yeah then um, I had about 40 employees I ended up selling it and then the dot-com bubble burst and the deal that I did had to get unwound during that time I started building up a tracking technology which I ended up uh, um, growing and then selling that to a public company in 2006 <clears throat> that was called direct response technologies and then I took a couple years off, and um, I had a one-year-old at the time, and took a, a couple years off. When he went and started going to school, I decided to get back into it. And um, during the transaction selling direct response, I ended up buying giftcards.com back from the company I sold direct response to and invested time and energy into giftcards.com. I bought the building here that we're in. That's a 20,000-square-foot building. Beautiful, yeah. Yeah. Converted it into a high secure facility. We actually manufacture the plastics. They come in as white blank plastics. They're Visa, MasterCard cards for the most part. That's mostly what we sell. 
mostly corporate. So corporations want their logo on a Visa card with $50 loaded on. They want to send it out to 1,000 people. We do that, mostly that kind of stuff. And, of course, on the website, you can uh, go on there and buy gift cards, too, and customize them. Uh, <clears throat> so I grew this business up to the point where we have almost 100 people. And that pretty much brings me right up to here as far as business goes. Yeah. It's great. So, obviously, you've had a, a lot of highs and lows. And uh, in one interview I read, you had said that I think when things fall apart, it causes great opportunities. And I just want you to expound on that because I think some some people that would have had the same uh, that lows in their life as you had would just give up and crumble. But yet you seem to overcome each time you had a low. And so I'm just curious, you know, is that just the way you're wired? Is it something you intentionally do? Is it a mindset? How do you overcome well, I think with change, I think there becomes opportunity, you know, and I think um, that's probably why uh, there are things in the world. That's probably why, uh, you know, out of catastrophe comes <clears throat> opportunity. And, you know, I found that if you're uh, persistent and, you know, a lot of times I'll look around and I feel like um, I work very hard. So if you're persistent, work hard, and uh, when situations arise that are challenging, um, sometimes, you know, those types of people can survive through them. You know, so I think that's probably built into me, one of those guys that sort of like a cockroach, you just can't kill it. <laughs> I hate to call myself a cockroach, but, um, you know, I'm just giving the analogy of, <clears throat> you know, uh, I just keep coming back. I like that. So you started this program called You Gift, We Gift, uh, and you can talk about what that is, but uh, you started for a very specific reason, experience you had when you were a young child. So um, can you just share about why you started that and what that experience was? So, yeah, when I was seven years old or so, um, living on welfare with my, my mother at the time, brother and sister underneath a blanket in our living room, and it was cold and it was Christmas and we had no heat. And I remember somebody knocking at the door, and, um, you know, uh, looking out the door and seeing a box of gifts and a frozen turkey, which we couldn't cook because we didn't have any uh, gas, you know. So that stuck with me that somebody actually thought of me at the time. And, <clears throat> you know, uh, that gift, I remember it. It was the game Clue. Um, you know, as I became older in my life and started to grow this business, I felt like it was important to give back. And... Um, so every gift card that's sold on our site, a nickel goes into um, a fund that's used to give gifts to kids. Um, and so what we do is I have an RV. It's wrapped, and it says you gift, we gift on. It's not a big advertisement for our company. It's just the mission is to go find children that don't get gifts. And so <clears throat> we've done it for two years. We uh, first year drove about 1,400 miles. This past year we drove about 2,000 miles, found children that would not normally get a, get a gift. And we gave the, the child a gift. And, um, you know, it seems small and, and, and silly that you're giving a gift to somebody that probably needs food or a jacket or shoes. But the experience that a mother or father has when they get a gift card that they can now buy a gift for their child for Christmas and they had no way of doing it is very emotional and so what I've found is that during these trips you know it's it is about the child but it's a lot of a lot to do with parent too 
yeah. and it creates a, an experience between the parent and the child, and it's us having the ability to facilitate that. That motivates me to continue to do this, and you know, so that's kind of how it happened, and that's kind of what we do. Yeah, when you came to Light of Life, probably my favorite picture, as long as I've been at Light of Life, and I'm sure you've seen it, maybe you haven't, but a mom was actually crying because she couldn't believe that someone would care so much to do what you did, and there's a picture of her hugging you, and I just, I love that picture. I look at it all the time. It just reminds me to, to focus on what I'm supposed to do. Are you, I think I that's it. awesome. You got it right there? Yeah. Yeah, that one there? Yep, yep, I love that picture. Look at the baby. It's incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, that's the type of thing. And, you know, the child will always remember that. Yeah. And the mother will remember that. And that's making people smile. Yeah. So with that, this is where where John's question comes in. I thought it was a great question. So obviously your, your son has a much different opportunity growing up than you did. How did your childhood affect and impact how you parent? And what kind of lessons do you want to teach your son, not given the life that you're, you're enabling him to have growing up? Yeah, so my life clearly is different than what his life is probably going to turn out to be. Um, but I keep, I mean, he went on the, he went on the, uh, you gift, we gift tour for two years. He's the one that goes and pretty much gives the gift out to the, to the child. He understands that it's, uh, really about your heart and it's, you know, what we've been taught, you know, it's, it's the gospel, you know, it's really about change and, you know, and so, um, I feel as though as long as I can continue to touch his heart and he understands, uh, uh, how important that is and that he's not better than anybody else and that we all are put here the same you know and um, try to get that into his um, understanding at an early age um, that I think um, you know he, he would be uh, greatly benefited from it I, I, do, I definitely see his life being different um, children are not really I mean it's not their fault on where they're born they're they're they have no choice if they're born into whatever environment they're they're born into, and so you can't take a child and that's born into privilege and rub their nose in it constantly. Well, look how privileged you are. Look at what you got. They have no choice. On the same token, on the other side, you know, uh, some children are born into poverty. They have no choice there. But it's the understanding that's important, I think, yeah. for kids to understand uh, that if you're born into poverty, there's opportunity, and if you're born into wealth that you're also not better than everybody else. And, you know, we're all the same. That's great. So you asked me the question when I came in, you know, uh, did people think I was a leader in high school? Were you, did you always emerge as a leader? Did you always have the work ethic you have now? Uh, or did you see that modeled somewhere? You know, what made you want to work hard? What made you uh, want to lead? Well, yeah, I was asking because I'm actually giving a, a talk coming up here uh, in uh, mid-pen down near Hershey to a bunch of students for a leadership uh, thing for high school kids. And my topic is, uh, are leaders born or are they made? <clears throat> so I asked you that because I was wondering if, um, you know, you seem like you're a leader, if during your younger years, if people thought you were or not. I believe people, I believe it's both. I think people are born leaders, but I also think people um, can make themselves into leaders if they follow certain things. And I feel like that was kind of how I was. So what do you? What are some things you do personally to continue to grow as a leader? Obviously, you've had to learn to start with three employees all the way up to managing over 100 employees. How do you continue to grow and learn? Um, I think you know persistence for me is uh, is very important. 
you know, I think um, you probably find one of the ingredients in successful um, people and leaders is the ability not to quit. Um, you know, for me, I also see, op you know, opportunities within problems. Um, I like to share my vision with others. I like to take action. I'm not complacent. I take, I make decisions and I take accountability. I think that's important. You know, and I think also <clears throat> it's important to um, give your credit to other people and not have it focusing on yourself constantly. As a matter of fact, I think probably the most influential leaders in, in our time, in our world, have been servants. Even Jesus was a servant, right? He would wash the feet of his disciples. Yeah. So. Um, so with that, I think this is interesting. I want you to talk to young leaders. Uh, so you saw an opportunity to, to get into the Internet and programming and all those things. So you went to a bookstore, bought a book on programming, and taught yourself. Can you just speak to that? Because I think it's interesting. I think a lot of people wait for, for their dream to come to them or for their dream job. And you just said, hey, I see an opportunity, I see a dream, and you went after it. Um, talk to young leaders who, who want to wait, but there's really no reason to wait in the world we live in with all the information available. For me, it was lemons to lemonade type of thing because I was recovering from surgery. I couldn't do anything. It couldn't work. So I was forced into this, you know, and so... Um, yeah, I picked up the book. Yeah, I taught myself how to code. It was difficult, but I had no other choice. So, um, you know, I was not the type that sat there and said, I, you know, I did want to do something with my life. I always was compelled to work hard and excel. But how I got into it was kind of um, the lemons to lemonade thing and circumstance that I was in. Yeah. Okay, so you've had moments in your life where you've had nothing. You've had moments in your life where you've had plenty what have you learned about money and the pursuit of money? Again, I think a lot of young people, it's like, I want the corner office, I want to be a millionaire. Yada, yada. What have you learned about actually having money versus not having money in, in the pursuit of it? Um, you know, I don't think I really pursued during my life to have a bunch of money. <clears throat> you know, I, I still, you know, I could buy a nice, you know, what is the, I don't know what the most popular, you know, sports car could be or something, you know, to, to show off that I have a lot of cash. I drive a minivan. I don't really, my truck is probably 10 years old. <laughs> I don't really care so much about money, you know, and so I, I don't work for money. I don't think about going and getting more money. <clears throat> you know, I just don't do it. Um, this time around, I'm building this company. I like to see people happy. I think it's uh, it's cool that we can do something unique, um, and uh, who knows? Um, so, well, what advice would I give somebody? You know, kids that are you know uh, desiring to get money, and then when they get it, what is it like? I don't know what the desire is to to want badly to have money because I've never had it. But I can say when I had it and when I didn't have it. Um, Having money just gives you a little bit more freedom to do things that you maybe couldn't do because you didn't have money. So that's pretty much all money does for you. It gives you some freedom. That's good. Um, talk about one or two. What if, I guess what, would, what have you learned about failure over the years? <clears throat> I feel like, yeah, failure. <laughs> you know, you go down a road and you think you're going to be successful at something and, you know, you do as much work as you can to figure out how it's going to work and then it fails. And 
you know, I think failure is okay. I think it goes back to our change. You know, when there's change, there's opportunity. When you fail, there's opportunity to learn and grow from it. <clears throat> you know, try not to fail so bad. Try to fail a little bit. Don't try to fail your entire thing. It's very risky sometimes. People want to um, risk everything, you know. Maybe risk a little bit. And, and uh, you know, there are days where you do have to risk a lot, and that's part of being an entrepreneur to take a risk. I mean, it's probably part of the entrepreneur DNA. But um, failing and calculating your fail failure and trying to limit your failure is probably just as important so you don't lose everything. So we've tried things. I still try different things in our company and they don't work out so well like I thought they would and I spent a lot of money doing it but I don't spend the entire company yeah. on it you know what I mean yeah yep. in your lifetime who are maybe one or two mentors that you've had that made a tremendous impact on your life and what was that impact that they made so okay um, you know probably when I was younger my house parents and the school I was in um, you know, the one house father I had, he was very intimidating. He was very, um, a big guy, probably 300 pounds, just big. And I was, you know, <clears throat> 10 or 11 years old. And I came from living on welfare where nobody, I didn't have any rules. I could do whatever I wanted to do, yeah. you know? I don't know how your life was. I was the same way. I knew yeah, you know, nobody I tell you what to do. It was great, you know? Yeah. I got to the school, and it was like, okay, <laughs> bedtime's now. you got to do this. I had to call him, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, all this stuff. I have all these things. And he changed my life because he got me be to become more uh, responsible. Um, you know, that was important. My grandfather was very important uh, to me. <clears throat> he was my father figure growing up. I think it's important for for boys to have a father figure in their life, and he was. Uh, my coach, uh, my football coach, was important. Uh, just because I think playing sports and football and so on, <clears throat> to have a male mentor when you're in your teens is important um, that you could look at and try to aspire to. And, um, you know, and as I get older in life, I see people that are just friends of mine that are, to me, mentors, you know. Uh, men in my men's group or men that I uh, lock arms with and so on. So, yeah. That's great. I've never asked this, this question before, but I, I was on your website and I saw that you love to travel, which I do as well. I'm just curious, what has travel taught you? You've traveled a lot of the world. What have you learned through that ex those experiences? I have learned I don't like to be on planes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What have I learned? I, you know, I've learned that a lot of different places that you go are just as just like America, you know. Sometimes when I was younger, I thought, you know, everything was in America and every, the rest of the world is terrible. Like, nothing's happening anywhere else. But that's not true. Yeah. You know, I can go and get McDonald's, you know, maybe today. Maybe back then it was like that. But today you can go to any, you know, country and pretty much feel as though for a large portion part that you're in America. You've got the same amenities and the same things that are happening. And... Um, people are people, and you know people have the same desires and wants and everything. Seems like that uh, all over the world. That's what I've learned. Mm -hmm. Okay, transition into some more business uh, business questions. Um, talk about the process of actually taking an idea or a dream in your heart uh, for a business or whatever it may be, <laughs> and actually making it happen. Wow. So, taking an idea or a dream and making it happen. Talk about the process. Yeah, so if I had a dream in my heart and I said, hey, I, I want to start this business, and I just came to you, what would you tell me to give me advice? For well, I, I do talk to kids about this and say, all right, be prepared to sacrifice a large portion of your life. 
you know, how you went to college, and Doug, you went to college? Yep. Okay, remember going to college and you're a freshman in school there, and you don't know anywhere, you don't know where the classes are, and you know, a lot of times you see your classmates dropping out as freshmen. Um, a lot of times, you know, freshmen, um, their grades aren't so good because they're learning that, hey, there's alcohol involved here, and schooling is not uh, that easy sometimes when yeah. you're a freshman. That's how it is in business. Your first year of business is very similar. Um, then you're in your second year and you think you know a lot, and that's why they call it sophomore because I think it's the same word for moron, because you think you know a lot, right? And then it's just like in business, you make some stupid mistakes as your, your second years uh, being in business. You know, if you make it through that, a lot of people drop out, right, in freshman and sophomore years of college, just like in business. The first couple of years, people drop out. By junior year, you think, you know, hey, I know some of the seniors, you know. You might be dating a senior girl or something. I don't know. Um, you start becoming connected. Um, and then by your senior year, your fourth year of business, <clears throat> just like in business, you've got contacts. People know who you are. Um, you know, you're stable. You're, like in college, you probably have an apartment. You're probably, you know... Um, have a little cash in your pocket. It's the same way in business. You have a lot of connections. You may have a little cash in your pocket by then. So being in business and starting a business is like going to the hardest college in the country, suffering through it, and eventually coming out and making it. And unfortunately, a lot of people drop out. So I tell young, young people that want to get into business, be, be prepared. In my opinion, this is, I mean, look, if, if you've got all the money in the world, you don't have to worry about it. But I didn't, and most people don't. Um, and it's tough. It's hard, you know, and so you really have to work hard at it, and it takes a while. So it seems like your life theme lesson is persist no matter what. When you fall down, get back up. Persist, persist, persist. Don't quit. Yeah, well, let's think about it. <clears throat> did you play sports in I did. high school? Did you wrestle? I did. Okay. Remember the third period? Yeah. Remember when you can't hardly lift your arms and you're wrestling a guy, and that guy might be better than you? Yeah. But if you persisted and he's too tired and you get some back points, you maybe you pin him because you outworked him. And a lot of times people that outwork other people, um, at the end of the day, they may be better athletes, but because you've outworked them, you can end up winning. So I always remember being a wrestler, and I remember those times, and I would win just because I would outwork people. So the same with business. That's good. Um, what's the most challenging thing in starting and running your own business? most challenging thing was starting and running the business <clears throat> well there's there's um, for me I think I tend to sometimes become uh, um, emotionally connected and sometimes decisions have to be made and it makes it difficult to make decisions with people uh, because you think about their lives and you think about if you let somebody go what's this going to mean um, and it's hard, you know, it's a tough thing to do, you know, especially when you see them a couple years later and, you know, you feel bad, yeah. you know, this is, this is probably the hardest thing. I've noticed it's probably the hardest thing for most managers too, is the process of managing and, and letting people go and the, you know, the, what, what's required to, to run a company like that. It's difficult. You can answer that question too. Um, what have you learned about leadership from your experience starting and running companies? You hear a lot of entrepreneurs where they can only lead to a certain level, and then they have to bring in, you know, yeah. senior CEO who has more experience. Um, what have you learned about leadership? 
You know, I, I feel like I'm like that type of guy, too. I feel like I'm good when it's a, a smaller type of company, <clears throat> when I'm actually working on stuff. When I, I have gotten to the point where we, at one point, had 120 people, I wasn't as connected with the product and the people that are building things that I felt that's not really where I'm good at. I'm actually much better when it's an earlier type of company. But so that's what I've learned about myself when it comes to leadership. I am very much hands-on. I can't get, you know, I'm not a very good political type of person, which I think as companies get larger, <clears throat> being uh, more political is probably uh, more important. So that's why I've learned that about myself. Sure. So when your companies get to that 120 range, I mean, do you do you say, okay, like we're, we're done higher? I yeah. mean, what do you do in those situations, or do you, is that when you look to sell? No, no. Well, we have. Well, we brought in some executives. I've got some executives that um, are here that help on our executive staff. Um, but you know, we're at that level now. Uh, okay. We've never gone, you know, to the point where we have two, three, four hundred people. We've not gotten there yet. So. Yeah, yeah. If that ever happens, I'll let you know. We'll do a follow-up interview. That's right. <laughs> um, so you've hired some executives. What have you learned about building a great team? I'm sure you've done a lot of hiring, and I'm sure you've made mistakes with that. What, what have you learned, and what advice would you give in building a team? It starts with people. Being the right people in the right seat on the bus, very important. Go through a long hiring process to hire them so that you make sure that you get the right person in that right seat on that bus. <clears throat> and then if you get the right people, then um, you get them involved in strategy. You don't do top-down strategy. You do strategy from the bottom up and top-down. We have things called small groups here, just like we do in church, that we actually uh, pulled from church to get people involved at all levels. Uh, these small groups, um, the executives are not allowed to be in the small groups. It's actually just small groups of employees. They elect a leader. That leader meets with a small group leadership team, which then meets with me once a week. So we have people from any part of the company can be a part of the strategy. So getting the right people in the right seat on the bus, people, right strategy, and guess what happens? When you have the right people and the right strategy, then execution happens, and it happens faster than normal. What's the format in those small groups? I'm curious. I, I've never heard of anything like that in business. Yeah. I'm interested. <clears throat> so you'll get a small group of 10 to 12 people. Um, they meet. Um, they discuss highs. They discuss lows. They discuss opportunities. Uh, they discuss things that we need to work on. Um, their leaders take notes during this process. They come back with the notes to a leadership meeting with me. Um, they talk about their highs, their lows, the concerns, the issues, the opportunities, uh, and then their employees of the, of the month, the, the people that they think would be the employee of the month. Each leader shares it with leadership team. We compile all the information and send it out to the employees. So we're communicating um, um, through the small groups, and so that's kind of how it works. That's good. Yeah. How are you? This is more personal, but how how are you handling feedback, or what? How is the feedback? How do you guys handle feedback as an organization? I mean, can anyone say anything to you if they they see an issue, or how does how does that work out? I feel like they can. Yeah. But you know, sometimes it's intimidating. Yeah. You know, so some people get a little bit of fear when they're dealing with somebody. You know, and I think the people that are not afraid of me have no problem. But if somebody has a fear or they're instilled, instilled with fear from somebody that's managing them that has problems, then, then it's not a good thing. What I, I find by small groups and by being involved with everybody that the fear goes down and then people feel as though they communicate. Um, that's good. 
So how, I, I don't know what other, I don't know how much competition your company has, but how do you stay ahead? I mean, technology moves so fast, creativity moves so fast. How do you ensure that giftcards.com is always a leader in the industry? Uh, well, we have, most of the company here is actually technologists. I think half the company is in technology of our 100 employees. Um, of course, I started writing code. I was a technology person. My last company was a technology company. <clears throat> so, you know, being involved in technology as much as I have and surrounding myself with a lot of technology people seems like that is a, a great advantage for us when it comes to technology and staying up to speed with what's going on. We've got, you know, great, um, a great CTO. He was president of AOL for 10 years, a president of technology of AOL. He had thousands of people work for him. Uh, we have great executive staff of, of people, and a lot of them are in technology. So, did you? I'm just curious. Did you recruit him? Like, did you go after him, or did he just apply like randomly for what you were looking for? He applied. He applied. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. What do you think it is about your company that attracts talent like that? Well, I think we are. <clears throat> you type in gift cards online, and you look at who there is, and there's us, and then there's like maybe one or two others. And nobody it's in not that worth mentioning in this interview. Well, they could, I can mention. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll mention. Them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's there's uh, giftcards.com, there's gift card mall, and uh, let's see, one that was uh, you know card pool, which is a secondary gift card business which buys and sells online gift cards, uh, graze.com, which recently raised a bunch of money, secondary gift cards, buying and selling online gift cards, um, but there's. If you look at that space, there's not a lot of competition because very small profit margins in the space. It's very difficult to do what we do here. <clears throat> so you don't have a lot of competition. So I think when the people were looking to work for me, when I was uh, posting the job for, let's say, for a CTO, I think if I would ask Martin, what did he do? The first thing he did was went and looked at gift cards, typed it in, and said, hey, these guys are leaders in the space. Started reflecting on, has there been any clear leader in gift cards? Have you heard of anybody? And the answer is no. Um, so taking an opportunity within a vertical that we, we have an opportunity to dominate in was probably very attractive to him. You know? That makes sense. Yeah. So what, if you're allowed to share with us, what's the future of gift cards? Giftcards.com? Yeah. Where do you guys see it going? <clears throat> um, you know, is everyone going to go to Apple and use WePay-type gift cards, or, or what do you see? I mean Apple Pay? Apple Pay, yeah. You know, I think gift cards will, we've seen this for the first half of this month, for, so this is 2015, that the growth in digital gift cards is off the charts. We're up over 600% over last year's January last year. Whereas the overall traffic of the website's up about 85%. So our traffic is way up because people are going online to look for gift cards as opposed to going to the grocery store and digital especially. So I think going forward into the future, whether I still own it, I have investors, I've sold it, I don't know. But this business, this company I've created here, I would imagine is going to continue to go on and be very successful because we are positioned very well within a space that there's no dominant player. You know, and everything's going digital. So when you stop going to grocery store to get your gift cards, you can go online. You're going to see giftcards.com. Yeah. This is probably a common sense question, but the best way for us and anyone listening to this to help and serve you is just go to the website and buy some gift cards. And is there anything <laughs> we can do to serve you? Well, you know what you can do? You can go online. You can go and um, maybe donate, uh, put a nomination of a child for you gift we gift. <clears throat> that would be great. Um, we do have a nomination page where you actually nominate children. 
So that's how we get the feedback on who to give gifts to. We actually have nomination. So what could help me would be, you know, nominate a child. That would be great. Buy a gift card. Part of it will go towards uh, you gift, we gift. That would be nice. Um, yeah. Maybe throw a link to us. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll include links to all, all of your social media websites, et cetera, in my show notes for this. Cool. Um, last few questions, a little personal. <clears throat> Out of everything you've accomplished in your life so far, what are you most proud of? I am most proud of my son, I think. <clears throat> He's a great kid. Um, he's got a, a nice heart. Um, we have a great relationship, you know, and uh, I'm very proud of that, you know, and I uh, spend a lot of time with him. So, you know, on the week, you know, if I get him from school, I pick him up at uh, at 3.30. I drop him off in the morning. So I maximize the amount of time I can have with him, you know, so I really like him. And where do you see yourself in five or ten years? Five or ten years, probably still doing something with business, whether it's this or something else. I'll be, uh, you know, building a company, and that's kind of what I do. Um, and most likely, continue to serve because I like to serve. And looking back one day on your entire life, what do you want to be remembered for? What do you want your legacy to be? My legacy. What do you want your son to remember about you? Um, yeah, maybe that I was a servant. You know, that I would. Uh, give a lot, <clears throat> give more, and I feel like, um, and I plan on giving more as I continue to grow, life goes on, that, you know, that would be what Morris would look at, look back and say, you know what, my dad gave a lot to a lot of people. So, yeah. Yeah. And that, do you, I wrote this question earlier, but didn't ask it, do you have, do you have giving goals personally or for the company that each year, hey, I want to give, and you don't have to share amounts or anything, but I mean, do you stretch yourself each year, like, I want to give more and do more, you know? Yeah, we have, <clears throat> well, we have a profit sharing plan for all the employees, so employees get part of the profits. We, I also have, this is what we do with charities around here, basically every employee gets to choose their own charity, and then I take $500 and give it to each person's in charity, so 100 people, um, you know, $500 for each one of them, and then in that employee's name, not in my name, not in the company's name, in that employee's name, we send a $500 check to uh, the charity. That's really cool. So it's good, and I have my own personal things that I do too, but um, that is a large chunk of charity that we're giving, out, giving away. Yeah. So, um, and it was also nice because people contact me about charities, and I say, that's fine. I have no problem with your charity, but it's really part of the company's policy. And What are we doing as a company? Because otherwise, it becomes Jason Wolf's charity. Where does Jason Wolf want to put the money? It's not fair. Yeah. It's 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 more fair for everybody in the company to have an opportunity to uh, participate in that, and because everybody's participating and growing the company, so therefore, part of the profits go to the employees. <clears throat> when we choose charities, it's not dictated by me; it's everybody gets to choose their own charity, and it's great. I like it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Last question: Any, if you had to leave young leaders with any last advice, what would it be? Last advice: Young leaders. Serve. Serve. We serve and you'll lead. That's it. Great. All right. Jason, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Doug.